Episode 166, Above Ground Podcast, For the Love of Stephen, with Sarah Lynn. Disclaimer, the hosts of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the peer perspective, it's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. You know who that is. You down with TPP. <laughs> Dude, I just don't have it this morning. I'm yeah, just not, you I'm know just what? not awake enough yet. <laughs> Invalidating TPP. Jesus. Right off the bat. <laughs> Inval- Give me a break, dude. <laughs> fucking break. Invalidating. Why? I didn't, you didn't get my name right. You're invalidating me. <laughs> yeah. So we're here on Zoom, Will. So what does that mean? That means we have another fine interview for everyone. That's right. Inner, I-N-N-E-R, because we get to open up everybody's beautiful minds and talk about mental health. But today we're actually going to talk about something that really um, we don't, we haven't really talked enough about, but we are going to be talking more about this year as we have other guests coming on to talk about the same exact thing, and that's overdoses. And that's because our guest Sarah is putting on a big event on August 31st, which happens to be International Overdose Awareness Day. Uh, The event will be going on at the hangar on the Hudson in Troy, New York. And uh, Sarah has a story, and she has been awesome enough to come on and share her story of loss and hope and everything. And uh, Sarah, thank you very much for, for coming on this morning. Thank you guys for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. We're happy to have you. So tell us about for the law for the love of Stephen, which is your event that's going on on August thirty first. Yeah, so it's an, a fundraiser slash benefit for and on the actual day of Inter- International Overdose Awareness Day. Stephen was uh, is the father of my daughter. She'll be eight in about. Let's see, the countdown is seven days. He passed away at his home in Waterford on uh, August thirty first. The official cause of death we got back on his 45th birthday, which was about four months later, um, and it was of uh, fentanyl, fentanyl overdose. Stephen was, uh, I don't know, I just, I saw him when I was 12 years old in seventh grade when Spanish class, um, he kicked me, and uh, I was just a big fan ever since. I don't know, it was a kind of a strange connection that I had with him. He left behind three two grown adult children and Veda. And um, it's just such a horrible and, and angering thing to find out that something like fentanyl took this man that was, had his problems, but was in no way, you know, done with life. And I don't want to be quiet about it anymore. I don't want other people to feel like they have to be quiet about it or, uh, you know, have to hide the fact that this person suffered and self-medicated to the point of their own demise. Um, So that's what International Overdose Awareness Day is about. It's reducing stigma. It's opening up conversations. It's letting people grieve openly and without shame and hopefully keeping it from happening to another person. Very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah, I think I'm going to throw up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't use the the video, so don't worry about it. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's... it's, uh, it's, it's hard to talk about, but it needs to be talked about. So um, I just get like sweaty when I have to tell the story. Well, yeah, you, this... don't, you don't have to share anything you don't want to share. No, I want to share it all. I do. Okay. This is kind of what, what we do here as well is, uh, you know, open up stories, open up conversations a little bit further than, than, than the typical, you know, everyday conversation. So, uh, but like you said, because, you know, we don't want to be quiet either. And, you know, the same thing with, with suicide is it, it's kind of a, a touchy subject. Even the word itself 
um, brings on, you know, certain feelings for different people. Um, but I think Will and I both agree that by talking about it more, you know, it can lessen that stigma. And Sarah, you said something very interesting about about the obituary, and and I don't know if it was as actually as we were rolling or if it was prior to us rolling about how a lot of times in the obituaries that deaths are, you know, oh, this was a sudden death or this was unexpected or this, that, and the other thing, and we find that a lot with suicide also is that we don't want to talk about why the person actually died because there's a lot of shame and stigma that comes with yeah. that. What has been one of the hardest things to wrap your head around as far as all of this goes? Is it is it the stuff that's left behind? Is it the stuff left unsaid? Is it a little bit of everything? Death and always, it's just, it's a, it's a business. It can turn ugly. Yeah, what's, what's hard to wrap my head around is if I could have done something like the guilt of him self-medicating or you know something I need to say about Steven is that you know he was a genius artistic played guitar beautifully was in the process of starting like his own business making collages that were just like mind-blowing but he also suffered he had ADHD he had anxiety um, depression all stemming from things that you know you know brain chemistry and also just life that feeling of um, well, if I was there, I could have stopped it. Or, you know, if I knew by not shutting him out because he had these problems, I was trying to shield my daughter. Had I not done that and like and been there with him, maybe it wouldn't have happened. That's the hardest thing that I've had to deal with, the guilt. Yeah, guilt is a, guilt is a terrible thing. However, shielding, shielding someone from someone else's choices is actually very strong on your part i know it doesn't feel very strong to you but it is very strong to provide her some protection the idea is i at least in my own at least in my own opinion and then when she's old enough to understand what he had to face himself then you can be a lot more open with her but yeah and i think it, it, what really added to it too, it was, which is crazy, and I, I've looked it up. Um, you know, he he had to go to rehab three times, and this was for um, for alcohol. But um, he also had to uh, come off of Suboxone, which he was actually prescribed because he had previously had um, a problem with pills due to um, an old injury that, like many people. They take it as prescribed, but then get addicted to it. So um, he went on a program to get on Suboxone to break that. So when he went to rehab for alcohol the first time, they made him get off of Suboxone. And ever since that happened, it did something for him chemically, for his depression, for his like ADHD, that nothing else did. And once he was off of Suboxone, everything changed. And it's weird because he wanted to get off of Suboxone. He didn't want to be dependent on anything, but it really did something for his brain chemically that um, changed. And then he just turned to alcohol and it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where I did have to remove myself and Veda from him. And yeah, and then it just, you know, he was left to his own devices. Oh, and the third time when he came out of rehab, it was full on pandemic. It was March of 2020. And the amount of um, overdoses, whether it be opioids, heroin, or anything else during the pandemic, like did a crazy spike. And apparently in 2021, it's not spiking as it was, but it's higher in 2021 than it was in 2020. Um, But I think it's all, when people ask how he died, they say, oh, it was 2020, was it COVID? And I was like, well, technically not COVID, but I call it COVID related. Coming out of rehab, and you said he did three stints in rehab. Yeah. This the, first was, the first was mandated by his job. The second, he um, went independently. And the third, he had no choice um, to go. Did he, he had gotten tired. You, you talk a lot about self-medication. And obviously yeah. he had ADHD and depression. Was he under... Yeah. 
Was he under any medical care for the mental health stuff? We went to um, counseling for a short time, but, um, you know, we had just moved to Brooklyn. I didn't have a steady job just yet. So we had, we were really low on, on extra money. And we found that almost everything for mental health was not covered by insurance. It was out of pocket. Or you would have to pay for it and get reimbursed. And we just didn't have the money. That's something that I have a real problem with too. Healthcare. Yeah, healthcare. That and that's part of the issue with not having national healthcare either. That you don't not everybody gets the same and and some people don't get things covered and everything else. We've talked a lot about insurance lately with yeah. with providers and people's fight fighting to get help that they need because most people don't have hundred and fifty dollars a friggin' week to talk to pay for for, uh, and then also like childcare to be able to go somewhere for an hour because you don't want even a two-year-old kid you think they don't know what they can't sit there and listen to you and talk about your problems you know what i mean that's just no. like no them no. absorbing like you know they don't want to see mom sitting there crying but like so you got to pay 150 to go see the person and then you got to pay somebody else to watch your, your kid yeah it's like we, we just we just sacrifice that even though we know we knew we both needed it sarah you had you had mentioned actually to me um before about um you kind of schooled me a, a quick class on on fentanyl i was wondering if you could share a little bit about that just because as you said that's what was i guess listed as the cause of death for steven and yeah, um, it was it was it was just an eye-opener for me hearing from you that the small amount of it and what it can do so if you can share that it'd be great sure sure like i said they initially when i got the phone call they said he died of a heart attack and i was like that's nonsense he may have been you know abusing his own body and you know he he, he didn't look great but i was like that's i know it's not that so when we did get the results back like i said on his 45th birthday october 29th and it came back as fentanyl i, I don't remember who exactly told me i feel like it was one of the the cops, but they said that the amount in his system was surprisingly small for an overdose. The the Albany DA came to the school that I work at and did a uh, an example of the amount of fentanyl that can kill you. And they showed like two uh, look like salt shakers, and the heroin in the salt shaker like kind of covered the bottom of the shaker. And then they showed, and that was like an overdose amount of heroin. And then they showed fentanyl. And it was literally like, it looked like just like a, like a little bit of salt that you put on your food. And it was, their hashtag was one pill can kill. And they weren't going after, you know, people who are abusing drugs. They were going after the, you know, you're going to a party, somebody hands you a pill and you can't tell the difference between a press pill and a pill from a pharmacy. And that if you have no tolerance and you're not like, you know, a regular user, because we know people do straight fentanyl because they have a tolerance. If you have no tolerance, that tiny amount can be enough to just, you know, put you under. I'm glad that they're doing this at the schools because kids these days, they're doing pills. <laughs> they're doing pills. We didn't do pills. We did other stuff, which was horrible for us too. But um, the pills, because they're in pill form, they're like, oh, it's from a doctor, it's from a pharmacy, but it's not necessarily from a pharmacy. And the kids don't know that. And that's what can kill you. I still, I don't, I will never know exactly what happened and what Stephen took to make um, him overdose. But um, at this point, I just, I just want to talk about it in, in any form because they're putting that shit in everything. That's the word that they're putting it, mixed it with everything. And I've heard some, I've heard some pretty bad stories about, about people, you know, getting things off the street and having bad reactions that literally shut their entire brains down and, like, they become vegetables. We got duped into believing that that pharmaceutical companies were actually prescribed, like, were actually making good stuff. And there are, there are reasons to have these drugs in, in, controlled, in controlled ways, but... I, I can speak from my own personal struggles with chronic pain myself. 
um, and haven't had to have neck surgery and everything. My doctor luckily didn't prescribe me a lot of things, and I'm not a pill. Po- I don't like to take pills. I don't even like to take the stuff I'm prescribed normally. So I don't have a problem with like with needing to take pills. But I will say this. There's been stuff that I've been prescribed that could easily, and it's at, like I got prescribed Adderall, and Adderall, let me tell you, in my brain, Adderall could become a really bad addictive thing because I can see it and I can feel it and I and I know myself and I know myself having that that little thing in me that goes, hmm, I could use this for a lot of other things. And it's so I get where people have those issues as far as not knowing what's going to send them out of control. So self-medicating can be a really bad slippery slope into things. But when you have chronic pain on top of that, you said he had, you said he had had some injuries, some prior injuries. Yeah. Yeah. In high school, he actually did a little clip. um, uh, A friend of ours, Jesse was making a documentary about the pharmaceutical companies. It was, um, it's not finished. Um, She said she's going to revisit it, but it's called, it was called the death in a bottle. And um, Stephen was one of the first ones that she interviewed. Um, and he talked about breaking his collarbone in a, in a high school soccer game. And that's how he was first prescribed opioids. And that's, and he, you know, he liked them. Like I had foot surgery and I was prescribed Vicodin and I was like, oh, I got this stuff. I'm going to try it. Everybody talks about it. And it just doesn't vibe with my, like, I didn't get a high from it at all. Like, but for his brain it did something he could do he could concentrate he could work he could he could work all night it was kind of it was almost like cocaine for him um and it 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 leveled him out and um you know which is why he got addicted to it yeah yeah what levels one person out may send the other person running down the street because i I would just fall asleep yeah, yeah I, have, I have that same reaction to certain things. Like I, I know that's that's part things. of the problem, right? Though I mean, like we can't, we we like if the, if the doctors or whoever didn't prescribe anything, then we'd be mad at them for not prescribing anything. So right, it's hard we, for. But there there was a lot of stuff that's come out in the last couple of years that have said that they knew these things were super dangerous, and they kept telling everybody they weren't dangerous. That's the thing. Like if you listen to all these, all these like all this stuff that went on with the company that put out the, the painkiller that literally that they that they don't want to pay anybody about. They kept telling everybody, Oh, it's safe. It's safe. We prescribe it. It's good. It's good. It's good. And it wasn't, they knew it wasn't, they knew it was addictive. They knew that people who had issues already could become even more addicted very fast. And the thing is, is that a business model doesn't work unless you have customers doesn't matter it doesn't matter whether it's street drugs or if it's legal drugs but the legal drugs as we find out are a lot more dangerous and then that makes the street drugs have to keep up with the the legal drugs so then they have to make them more dangerous at least yeah, at mean, least that's, that's the way it appears anyway but <clears throat> the the, the, com- the common story that i keep seeing because like i love documentaries i watch everything i can find about it but it's, it's um get prescribed pills get addicted to those pills um, run out of refills for those pills, still need the pills, get the pills off the street that are like, you know, you know, oxys back in the day, we're going for like 30, $40, a pill, a pill. And, you know, then that starts to dry up or you can't afford it anymore. So the next st- step is, you know, something like heroin or, you know, pills pressed with fentanyl so that the you know they can be cheaper but they still make their money on the street and that's the the downward spiral that happens to people and it can happen to anybody it can happen to a mom it can happen to you know a lawyer it doesn't have to be some junkie on the street but next thing you know um the only way that they can get over this sickness because it is it's the dope sickness um, I watched Stephen try to get off of Sabatson. He wanted, he was going to meet my dad for the first time. And he was like, I'm going to kick it. I'm going to kick it myself. He just hacked it down. He was literally taking this much and he was sweating. He was sick to his stomach. And he's like, I can't meet your dad like this. And I was like, 
what are you trying to prove by if you're prescribed the suboxone like you're not selling it you're not abusing it you're keeping yourself from being sick but you know he had that stigma he's like i don't want to be dependent on anything and that was his mindset but then unfortunately he became dependent on something else because he just replaced the suboxone and but it what replaced it was vodka and you know it was really bad like really bad um, I think we see that a lot, whether we realize what it is or it isn't. I think that is a is a loop that is is definitely happening more than we know. I guess would you going back to what you kind of just said? I need to play devil's advocate just for a second. And if if someone it, is, yeah. what's that? No, I'm not. It's, it's a question. <laughs> That's all it is. Okay. Don't take anything more. <laughs> Do. As the person who is is looking for the next thing and 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 falling down that spiral, it, is it somewhat of their responsibility to speak up and tell somebody like, hey, like I I either need more of of X prescribed because the pain, or hey, I'm uh, I feel like I'm I'm headed down a dark uh, slope here. I mean, when you're in that position, you're not thinking about that at all. Um, you know, you know what you're supposed to do and what you shouldn't do. Um, but your brain has a way of making it okay. Like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Justifies. Justifying it. Thank you. Um, so, you know, thankfully, Stephen never, and he told me this once, he's like, he's like, I hate needles. So, you know, heroin, I'm never going to do dope. Never, never thank god um so he didn't go down that path at all um i don't want to misrepresent his his um memory but um you know it's just a the general thing that happens but when you are there's always a lot of lies and cover up because there is shame and the first thing that you know we as friends of friends and family of these people need to do is to not make them feel worse about it um to be like okay uh, yes, you know, I want to help you. You have a problem, but you know, the, the shaming doesn't really help always or the like, Oh, they're going to get mad. If they find out I relapsed, they're going to get mad. I can't let them know. I need to hide it. You know? Um, so it, yes, it is their responsibility to do so, but it very rarely happens in my experience. No, I get that. I guess maybe the question should be is how, how can we, on both sides, because I think there has to be responsibility on the other person as well. Like you said, is to, to, to tread lightly and not trying to shame or get mad or bring on extra weight to that person. So how, in your opinion, how can we get that conversation? What are better ways to approach that conversation? Well, and this is where I don't, I don't know. There's, there's not an easy answer. Just like, you know, everybody's talking about gun reform. There's just no easy answer. I, I thought I did what I thought I needed to do. I, I was like, you know, I spent a weekend with him after, during the pandemic um, upstate and, you know, I, I missed him and Veda missed him and we spent a weekend together. I thought that by, you know, keeping myself and Veda from him would make him realize that he needed to change because he said himself, I need to change. I know I do. And, you know, we were hanging out that weekend and there was a bottle of vodka in his pocket. And, you know, the first thing he said to me when I pulled up was, he's like, do you have any beer in your car? And I'm like, why would I have beer in my car? What are you talking about? So like, you know, I thought tough love would help. It didn't, I'll never know if it was, you know, something that I could have changed or not. So I really, I don't have an answer for you, Tim. I really don't, I don't. No, that's okay. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, to personalize no, no. It for your situation. I'm, I'm in general trying to help, you know, yeah, obviously yeah, no. others. Cause like you said, for your situation, self-love didn't help. And just hearing your thoughts on it and, and what's swirling through your head, like, did I do the right thing or, or should I have done this? You know, it, yeah. it's like you said, there's no, there is no one easy answer for sure. But I was just looking for some kind of, uh, you know, takeaway, I guess, that we yeah, can, I mean, you know, that people it, can do. I think that everybody should just, you know, it, even though there's no easy answer, it's something that it, it is a good question. It's something to think about, um, you know, what might work for one person 
may not work for another. You know, it's it, it, it's crazy how like independent and um, individual all these types of things are. Because there's no playbook for this. Just like there's no oh, playbook. No. Just like there's no playbook for suicide either. It's just it's one of those it's one of those real gray areas that a lot of people don't want to talk about because they don't know what to do. And a lot of people don't want to be responsible. I, I'm going to put that right out there right now. Most people, I will say this, most people don't have the capacity in, and I don't, and, and maybe that's an overestimation. Maybe more people have the capacity than I think, but knowing from the stories that I've heard and the things that happen in, in reaction to a lot of things, most people don't have, they, they don't want to deal with it because that means they have to be involved. And as we know, this world has become very self-centered. And even this space is a very self-centered space at times too. So it's like people say that they want to help. And then when they don't know what to do, it that's one level of it. And then there's the other level of it. Well, fuck, if I know what to do, then that means I got to be responsible and get involved. And most people don't want to get involved. Which is sad because that means we lose more people like Steven and like the hundreds of people that we're going to lose today. Because I don't have any numbers, unfortunately. For, for I, I have overdose. one number, actually, I was just going to say, um, according to the National Institute of Drug Abuse, it's 130 per day in the U.S. 130 per day people die of overdoses per day. Per day. Does it say of what is that like specific it, or is it just no it's nothing review? specific it's just a it's just a drug overdose of it doesn't um i it, yeah i it doesn't say because i'd be i mean granted i will i will sort of say this i've realized that sometimes these addictions that we get involved in are slow slow attempts at suicide in my in my estimation sometimes and then other times you know they are death by misadventure or whatever and other times, I, again, like you said, did Stephen have any other he underlying health issues besides? No, he, he actually used to brag about it. So you know, every time you go, every time you go to rehab, and like I said, he went three times. Um, they do like a full, you know, and they're, he would always say, "It's like, yeah, the doctor said, like, you know, my blood pressure is great," and, and every single time he was so proud of it. And I was like, well, yeah, good for you. <laughs> but you, you still have to deal with this issue that you have. He was he was healthy. He was um, 44 at the time of his death. He had ADHD, which I wanted to talk about because um, ADHD, I think, is something that is really misunderstood. He needed to stay busy. And the pandemic was just, it was the worst thing possible for him. He wasn't working. He couldn't go anywhere. Um, nobody supposedly could come around. I know that he did have a small group of friends over, but it's like, what, what you can't sit and stare at the walls, not for someone like him. He needed to stay busy, but at the same time, he couldn't focus on one thing. So with ADHD, basically, it's meant, a lot of times people just think like you're hyper, you can't focus on anything, you're flighty. But really what it is, is that you're super focused on everything at once. So it's like, if you're at you know, in a loud place, like you can hear every single conversation and you don't know which one is the most important to focus on. You won't have the ability to rank from high priority to low priority. So you end up giving all your attention to everything at different times. And it makes you seem like you're, you know, not paying attention. But meanwhile, you're super paying attention. You, your brain just can't tell you what's most important, which I find very, very, very informational on how people then use something like a depressant like alcohol or you know opioids to calm your brain down so you can get some rest it's exhausting it's exhausting for people with adhd and they they are and which and then if you also have anxiety that leads to that too um so i feel like that's a really important thing that needs to be um addressed according you know with uh, addiction and mental health is that adhd is um it's a monster for a lot of people i agree and, and i've been actually trying to get um you know a, a professional or someone that is uh involved you know in in adhd like a specialist to come on and talk because um i agree and i think 
what's one of the hardest things for people to to realize is because you can do something one day and the next day like you don't do it and it could be because you're focused on something else and i one of the things that was um surprising to me was the the huge variable of dopamine to adhd because you're searching for you know what i mean and it yeah you might be able to do this task but it depends on what it is that you're getting in return there's it's actual you know what i'm getting at is there's actual brain chemistry going on that oh, you know definitely. it's not just some person ignoring you or or dismissing your hey put away the dishes sort of thing you know it's there's actual <laughs> stuff that's happening yeah he must have been a fly in the wall so yes even <laughs> i used to ask him i'm like can you please do the dishes and it would literally it would take him about three hours to complete one <laughs> one sink of dishes because he would have like i don't want to soak i gotta you know i'm gonna take a break i'm gonna have a cigarette i'm like dude just do the dishes but what i didn't understand is that so dopamine like you said tim uh, is that's the um the the reward right like of finishing something and getting a feeling of satisfaction after finishing something it's not even not even necessarily the reward but it's 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 knowing that there is a reward it's that whole like almost like i guess the best way that i can explain it is is the fear of death is worse than death itself you know what i mean it's okay. that yeah it's it's that it's that piece right before the reward it's like i'm going to get that you know right. what i mean it, no, yeah, he did not have that when it came to menial tasks. <laughs> and like the same sink of dishes I could do in 15 minutes. I'd be like, what? and I'd be like, what the hell is your problem? Like, why, why did you, why can't you do it? And, and I'm understanding now that like, we were very, very similar in a lot of ways, but we were also very, very different. And um, I think that's what, you know, was attractive about him to me. And, and me to him, um, we had a balance, um, but we also had an imbalance. But um, the, the, the fact that he could sit in the backyard for literally, he would sit out there till three in the morning since the time he come home. So like eight hours, he would sit out back and meticulously put together these beautiful, amazing collages that he would cut out of magazines and things he found on the street. And um, they were mind blowing, mind blowing. And he could do that because he enjoyed it. And it was a rewarding to him. Um, exactly. Things, yeah. But things like, uh, you know, helping me out doing the dishes or something like that. It was like, I, I still have, the, there's a bottle cleaner at the house down in Brooklyn. And um, it was like a refillable bottle. And he, he wrote on it, I won't clean by I refuse. And it was like, it's just so, um, so him because with ADHD also comes oppositional defiance disorder, which is when you're told you're supposed to do something. And ju just by being told you're supposed to do it, you will not do it. <laughs> I won't. While, um, <laughs> while we're talking about this, I had to, I had to play Dr. Google here. So WebMD, what is dopamine? Dopamine is a type of neurotransmitter. Your body makes it and your nervous system uses it to send messages between nerve cells. And it's sometimes called the chemical messenger. And you said something that made me think about this. And then that's what made me look this up. You said he broke his collarbone playing soccer. Mm -hmm. I, I absolutely love soccer. I watch it constantly. I don't play like I used to or anything like that. I've only played a little bit. However, do you know if he had a history of concussions? from those games because oh. the reason why i ask is because obviously with neurotransmitters because what it says is is that dopamine plays a role in how we feel pleasure it's a big part of the unique human ability to think and plan it helps us strive focus and find things interesting but your body spreads it along four major pathways in the brain so I, and I'm just wondering this, and I would love to get somebody on who really knows about CTE. Like I would love to talk to a doctor yeah. about CTE because there's been so much of that, of that in the news in the last 10 years with NFL players. And then we find out more soccer players actually have it than we think. And of course, UFC fighters, boxers, anybody that takes rapid heads, blows to the head. And even, mm -hmm. I would think, even for us headbangers, because again, <laughs> and I, and I know you think it's funny, 
But the thing is, is that what we don't realize is, is that every time our head moves back and forth, our brain is moving too. So I wonder, if, I wonder if there's any correlation to that. And if there's anybody out there that can answer that, please do. <laughs> yeah, that would be really interesting. Um, I do not know about, um, you know, soccer is actually a crazy sport because it's super physical. And yes, they it have, is. And they have ankle guards or, or shin guards. That's shin guards, it. but they also yeah. use their head repetitively as, as a tool. And there's yeah. been plenty of headbutts inadvertently going for a header you know, people getting kicked in the head. And I just wonder if if that had anything to play into his... And that's what made me want to ask this question. Was yeah. he diagnosed with ADHD as a youth or was this an adult diagnosis? I believe as a youth, as a youth, definitely. Okay. He was um, he was the problem kid. He was, uh, you know, impulsive, you know, skateboarder, BMX bikes, like okay, very so little... Very little impulse control. Right. He high was, action, he was that kid. High yeah. energy. Probably mm -hmm. did sustain a concussion or two along the line. I'm sure he did. Uh, you know what I mean? Probably jumped out a second story window just to see how it was. Like kids like like I mean, kids... he fell out of a tree when he was forty two. <laughs> oh my was... gosh, did he really? <laughs> yeah. He said to his friend, I mean, this there was alcohol involved. I was I was still down in Brooklyn. We had just started dating, and um, he, he was living with um, our friend Ian. We all went to high school together, and uh, we um, I get this phone call. I'm at work. It's it's literally like seven o'clock in the evening, and I get uh, Ian on the phone, and he goes, "Sarah," I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Don't be mad." And I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Well, we were walking in the cemetery, and I tried to help Steve climb a tree because he wanted to." climb a tree and, and I pushed him up but I pushed him too hard and he fell over the other side of the bridge and he broke his hip and his wrist like really badly he was in the hospital for about a week so yeah and that was as a grown man oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure when he was a youth okay there was a lot of stories like that. I'm sure so and I... I did I did get mad for the record I was like are you kidding me dude <laughs> well, it's and, and it's interesting because as we know about the the connections to our nerves, that when they're damaged, and if they're damaged for too long, they don't come back. And mm -hmm. I often try to put that puzzle pieces together because I obviously I I had neck surgery in two thousand nineteen or two thousand thirteen, and I st I have a lot of back issues and stuff, and I noticed certain things became more intense following that than were oh, before. Sure. But, and, you know, a lot of that could just be the life experience too, but. <laughs> Sarah, you had mentioned earlier about somebody coming into your school and, and talking. Um, is, is, is that something that is uh, going to be the trend now? Like, are they going to come into more schools, do you think? Or yeah, is it I, more I inner city so. schools? I think so. No, this was, I mean, this was the Albany DA and two detectives and they had a nice little slideshow. And again, they presented it as, you know, we don't talk about, we're not talking about drugs as, um, you know, addicts or becoming addicts, but it's people that have done which is it important, doing it for the think, first time. Yeah. I think that's an yeah. important takeaway from that for sure. And I, I agree. I think that, you know, they should be doing this, you know, in all counties. Yeah. We, and we actually had a visitor um, at Lansingburg high school, um, I wish I could remember his name. I should have looked it up, but he was um, a Celtic that became addicted to heroin. He had a great career ahead of him, was super talented, um, but became an addict. And now he's made it his life mission to go around to high schools. And I've never seen a speaker like this. Like these kids were silent. They were silent. He's like, I don't want to talk about, you know, addiction. He's like, I want to talk about before addiction. He's like, I want you to look at me as a young player and how successful I was. And I don't want you to think about using, I want you to think about the first time you do it. The first time you do it is the time that leads to you becoming an addict. So it's like, that's the important thing. It doesn't matter. Or we're not talking about uh, the drug addict on, on the corner that you see and laugh at and like, oh, what a loser. You're talking about like, you know, the pretty cheerleader that decided to, uh, you know, pop a, a pill at a party 
a Xanax or something, and then possibly overdoses or possibly um, likes it too much, you know? Sure. It's just, it's, it's so, yeah, it's so strange to me that like I, I tried with this Vicodin that I got for my foot surgery and I'm like, it's not doing anything for me. I don't get it. It's so weird how different brains process this stuff differently. And you don't know what kind of brain you have until sometimes it's too late. Right. When you're craving it and craving it and craving it, you know? I'm going to ask, was it by any chance Chris Heron? Was he the Celtic? Sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. He, that's, listen, he, he comes he, right up I on I cried this. through the whole thing. I cried through the whole thing. I was sitting there. Thankfully, I wasn't with any students. I just happened to have a free period and I went in and uh, he came out and talked and it was, it was dead, dead. Like, like he was just went right for the gut with these kids and it was it was perfect and i'm like that's what they need to hear they don't want to like they were like laughing and stuff he's like do you think it's funny do you think it's funny and he would call them out and he wasn't coming out trying to be friends with them he was really really real and i was like holy cow this is what every every school needs absolutely i agree with that 100 percent. you know i at all angles but i think i think I've always thought this with, with mental health, suicide, drug, drug addiction, whatever it is, you know, someone that has been through it that came out and is now doing that, help, trying to help and educate, inspire, whatever others is, I think that's where it's at. You know what I mean? You, you need to hear that, the real, true story. And again, that's one, one piece of it, but still, I think it, it, it holds a lot of weight. Yeah, because, you know, drug addiction and abuse, like, it's just human nature, I guess, to generalize and like, you know, be like, you know, the Dave Chappelle, like scratching the neck and like, <laughs> but it's like, it's, it can be anybody and you don't know, you don't know who's having that, that issue. I've had my own issues and uh, it's, it's just, um, it can, for the wrong person, it can lead to that one time that's too much. And then you're, you're having overdose. I mean, we had in Rensselaer County that one day, I think there was like eight overdoses in 24 hours. There was some bad batch that came up from the city. And, let, me ask, uh, let me ask you this really quick. I don't want to interrupt you, but it just, it no, just popped okay. in my head. If you don't mind, since this tragedy, have mm -hmm. you yourself personally like second thought, you know, had second thoughts on some like you know if you're out at a party or you're out with friends and they're like hair and you're and does, are you more kind of conscious of it now yeah i mean you know i had my party days in, in college and 90s and the aughts and whatnot but um you know even people have given me um like I had a toothache and i really i it was like an emergency and i i needed something and uh, it was a Sunday and I thought about asking people, like, do you have any painkillers? But then I was like, it really, it's just, it's always going to be the back of my head, though. just always. And it, like, I literally need to see it in the prescription bottle with someone's name on it. I, I, I can't get away from the fact that there's no, there's fentanyl testing strips, but they're really hard to get. Supposedly, I, I've heard that they're illegal here in the States, which makes no sense because they want to. You know, people are going to do what they're going to do. And, you know, nobody's telling anybody to not party because they're going to party if they want to. But it's just to be aware of where you're getting it from, what to look for in an overdose. But to make these fentanyl testing strips so difficult to get, um, like, what's the point? I don't, you know, I don't understand. You should be able to know what you're putting in your body, even though you can, can you argue like, can you just, what are the, what are these fentanyl strips? Can you just kind of give our listeners a quick. Yeah. Yeah. So supposedly you're supposed to be able to um, take a, a pill and like crush it up. And it's kind of like a, like a litmus test, I guess almost. And you can like test the pill to see if it's laced, if it has fentanyl in it. Yeah. The, weren't they um, trying to do that at like shows like at fish shows and stuff where they were trying to test the MDMA and, yes. and stuff for, so they, for, yeah, pure, so for purity as far as stuff goes? Like, was it something yeah. like that? Yeah, and supposedly um, a friend of mine was telling it, and I, sh I should have, like, looked up the – what happened was that they didn't want – like, they are like, no drugs, but, like, if you're going to do drugs, test it. And then they were, like, um, you know, they made it – 
illegal so that the festivals couldn't do that. But it's kind of like counterproductive in my mind. Like, so is it is that why they they're they're making it illegal or it is illegal because they think that uh, that's what I was it's promoting told. drug use, maybe. Yes, exactly. It's kind of like, you know, people that are like, you know, why is there sharps containers in the Stewart's bathroom? It's like, well, wouldn't you rather there be a sharps container in the Stewart's bathroom rather than the Stewart's person taking out the garbage gets stabbed with a needle? You know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, like, no, I'm with you. I mean, anything on I Yes. People are going to do what they're going to do, you know, and, and we're never going to change that. And um, I think that's why talk educating and talking about right. it more is helping. I think it's it's what is needed. I feel like I'm never going to shut up about it now because I I can't explain to you guys the, the amount of anger of something that I already knew in the back of my in the in the in the bottom of my heart, in the back of my brain. When we got the final results, I knew that's what it was. I knew he didn't just have a heart attack. That was ridiculous. Um, and the, the amount of anger and the, like the, we're going on two years now, next month, July 31st wow. will be two years. And, um, I, I, I will never be the same. And, not, and um, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I, no, go, please go ahead. I don't want to take away from, from, from Steven and that story that you're telling, but uh, something that we should obviously ask you is, you know, uh, how are you doing? And, and is there things that you are kind of doing or pursuing to, um, you know, keep you on that wellness side of things? Um, yes, that is a good question because um, I would say overall, I'm not doing well. I tried talking to somebody, but everything is like, they're like, well, if you want to get in sooner, you can do telehealth, which was great. I tried it, but it's just not my thing. It was awkward. I didn't really vibe with the guy. I'm still in search of someone else to talk to. Like I said in the beginning, I go I go through a lot of periods of um, like regret and questioning myself and my decisions and how I dealt with him. I have a lot of trouble Focusing. Uh, so like, for example, I was supposed to forward his mail uh, right after he passed. And um, it took me about eight months to do that, to do the paperwork. Um, I'm still paying for his cell phone bill. There's paperwork I have to do that I just have a lot of trouble doing. So it's like uh, a lot of denial still, which is tough. Thankfully, I have Veda, who uh, is like so much like him and is a uh, a reminder of of him as a kind of a freer spirit than um, what ended up, you know, pulling him down throughout his youth and growing up. You know, he had a lot of trauma and um, that was not addressed. And uh, and on top of that, he was just he was an artist. And you know, we all know artists usually kind of have a d- difficult life because they just operate. He was just operating up here on a different level. And that's what I loved about him. That's what everybody loved about him. You know, he was, he was just, he always, he referred to himself as an alien. You know, he's like, greetings or <laughs> or a pirate, you know. He was just different. And, you know, people like that have a harder time traversing the, the normal, normal, quote, human experience. And I think that they're the people that are usually the most prone to these kinds of tragedies sarah i can't thank you enough for sharing steven's story with us and this morning uh before we finish up why don't you tell everybody about this event that's coming up for the love of oh yeah um i'd love to um so it'll be um wednesday august 31st at hang on the hudson um we've got three acts um we have um Curious Comet, uh, which is uh, Nikki Chaos, um, who also went to high school with Steven and myself. Um, then uh, Raisin Head will be performing. Ah. And then uh, we have um, their first show um, ever in the Capital District, uh, Lizzie and the Makers from Brooklyn, New York. Special guest will be uh, Reeve Gabriels, who is also um, a member of The Cure and has played with David Bowie. 
Um, he actually lives in Troy, which is crazy. He is that their is producer. Crazy. Troy yeah, is super. He's... Troy is super cool and eclectic again, though. Yeah, I know. I love it. I'm so I'm proud to be from Troy. Me too. Um, I, yeah. This is my saying: you can take <laughs> the boy out of Troy, but you can't take Troy out of the boy. Oh um, yeah. I'll be Troy. Bitch, please, I'm from Troy. <laughs> <laughs> she said, "Bitch, so... please." <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, please. <laughs> so yeah, that that's gonna be the lineup. I'm thinking it'll be like from six to eleven. There's a there's a um you know school night. Well, not school night, but a work night. But it's the it's the Wednesday before Labor Day. So hopefully everybody will be in like party mode, and we're gonna have some silent um raffles, silent auctions, whatever they're called. Some raffles. Um, you know, someone wants to come and do just a little bit of a of speaking about um addiction and overdose um i do realize it's kind of ironic to have it at a bar when we're talking about addiction but you know well, nobody's telling anybody what to do with their life they're just we're just asking people to be responsible and to think about things before they impulsively do them um you know and, and, everybody's and on gonna be <laughs> on a side note addiction isn't specific to alcohol i'll say that true 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 yep so yeah, I'm hoping to have a, a really fun time, and um, if it works out, I'd like to do it annually. Um, I wanted to do a slideshow of um, if people would submit pictures of their loved ones, because it's not just about Stephen, um, and maybe a little story about them. I'd like to put up a slideshow just to honor these people, just you know, just because they you know lost that we lost them due to addiction and overdose doesn't mean that they shouldn't be remembered and celebrated as a, the person that we knew them as. They're not, they shouldn't be defined as their overdose. They should be defined as a brother, a sister, a best friend, um, you know, a, a, an acquaintance, a buddy that, you know, we all still are missing and, and, and feel the loss of. And that's why, you know, for the love of Steven, but no, it's also for everybody. It's for the lost, everybody that's lost somebody. Timmy. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that uh, hits home, you know, and I, I hope that, um, you know, someone, you know, hears this and, and maybe can take away something from it. Um, I do want to mention that we had uh, Will and I also uh, a year ago, I think it was uh, episode 106. We did uh, Moth to Flame. We, we talked about a little bit about the comorbidity with, you know, the addiction and, and drug, drug use, abuse with mental health. Yeah, there's a big, there's a big, there's a big comorbidity part of it, and there's programs. Micah, mental illness, chemically addicted. That's like those are programs that people can go to, and there's a lot of people in those programs. And again, addiction, addiction comes in all forms, shapes, sizes. It it's, it runs the scale of socioeconomic. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you think you are in life or where you think you should be in life. It can hit you and it can destroy you. It can destroy everybody around you. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. And there is help out there. And it's it's a difficult road, just like just like anything is. It's it's not easy to overcome. But there are resources out there. Project Safe Hope here in New York is a is a big project that they're trying to safe project safe point which is harm reduction stuff um which i'll include in the show notes and i'll include whatever else i can find as far as addiction and recovery goes all right don't forget healing springs in saratoga springs if you're in saratoga area um healing springs is an amazing um amazing nonprofit. uh tim and i have close relationship up there with those with those folks and uh they're amazing and uh, that they will really help. Uh, we're gonna have one of their counselors on, one of their peer specialists on pretty soon. Also, uh, who has become a friend of mine, who has an amazing story of recovery. Also, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. We always finish up the show with three questions. So, Timmy, fire away, buddy. <laughs> Sarah, do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? Oh, I have a favorite word. Let it rip. Favorite word, dickhole. <laughs> oh, well, we ain't heard that one before. <laughs> not, not, no. Oh, no, it's that's very not the one. Trying to say that's not one of the that's ones that I would have would have thought. That's a first. No, yeah, when you're angry at something, stop being such a dickhole. Wow, 
<laughs> I like that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> I now now I gotta ask what's your least favorite word because oh geez fern what is it fern 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 well, yeah that's the like fern. like the like the plant it. yeah fern. oh okay. that's my cat's name wow all right <laughs> well, I think we all I think we all talked about how we don't like cats at the beginning didn't we. Yeah. Oh yeah, well you know you're you're just, that's that that's you. It's, no, that's technically me. his cat's name is Fernando, so let's not get crazy. Oh, but I like Fernando. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's Fernando, Hernando, Guerrero. It's the Fernando from Fuller House. My daughter named the cat, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you know she wanted to name him that. I just won't call him Fern. I'll call him Fernando. There you go. That's fun to say, Fernando. <laughs> Fernando, it is fun to Fernando. say. Fernando, right? that's fun to say. <laughs> Fernando. Oh. <laughs> uh i've changed this i changed this question up every show now so i'm gonna ask you something more specific to you um what is something that you didn't know about yourself prior to going through all this that you've learned i didn't realize that i had as many mental health issues as i actually do because his were so extreme that he was general we were generally like he was the crazy one and i was the like come on be normal but uh i also have my own mental health addiction issues that i need to address that i don't think has overshadowed mine (laughs) um but now he's not here and i'm reflecting i i'm not perfect And, and not that i ever thought i was but I could be in danger of going down the same path as him because of, you know, grief, depression, wanting to forget about things um, that are stressful because I am under a lot of stress. I'm like, I'm in three places at once trying to deal with his estate. I still have my apartment in Brooklyn. I'm here in Troy. I have my daughter. I have a new job. Um, I'm making a lot less money. So I have a lot, a lot of stress. And sometimes that can lead to doing the same thing he was doing. And I have to continuously remind myself that um, I'm not exempt from, you know, what he felt too. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's, 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 wow. That's deep. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for, for opening up like that. That's why I'm here. So Sarah, if, if there was something that you would like to see done or that you could do for mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, what would it be? I love the fact that, um, I know this is a hot topic issue, but, you know, critical race theory, um, you know, talking about um, different types of families in school. I know that people have a lot of hot feelings about that, but I think that um, if if we are going to, enter that into the discussion. We also need to talk about mental health um, as young as, you know, elementary school, um, recognizing things, um, you know, I work in special education and, you know, when I was in school, we had the one room where, you know, all the R word people, you know, were, but I think that inclusion and talking about things um, at a very young age reduces stigma of mental health and thereby will reduce, um, you know, self-medication and um, just trying to deal with things by themselves because you don't have a word to describe how you're feeling. If you're aware of that as a young person, that might not happen. Nice. Love it. Um, And the people who don't want to talk about critical race theory also don't want to talk about mental health. So that's, that's quite the conundrum there. So yeah, let, let's think about but, that. Yeah, if you, if you, if you uh, ostriches, you know, you stick your head in the sand, it's not going to go away. Right. That's what we'd rather do. Just like we've been <laughs> doing for the last fucking 2,000 years. Let's stick our heads in the sand and not, not acknowledge what we've done. Right, right. exactly. Sweep it under the rug. Let's create more stigma. Well, I think, yeah, and I, I think it, it actually kind of one, it goes in hand in hand because, Sarah, as you were saying, like, you know, talk, talk about emotions with these kids and talk about things that we don't talk about. And I, I think that kind of goes hand in hand because 
I think a lot of people don't know how to deal with dif- difficult emotions. They just can't do it, right. you know, and they shy away from it. So either they stick their head in the sand or they find a bottle or whatever it is that they use as a distraction. That's what they do. And I think that's, I personally feel that is, is the foundation of most of it. That's why I'm, I'm planning on, like I said, I'm hoping to do this every year with the focus on maybe a different lost person. Um, and, and that's, see, that's awesome. To give that family give that family some financial help because the financial strain of losing someone quote unquote suddenly when you know you're 44 you don't think you need a will oh that's another thing just make a will especially if you have a kid make a will it, it, yeah it's just it's i would love to be able to do it and have a different family benefit from it each year that's awesome yeah that's, that's huge awesome. and agp will support you in whatever we need to do so cool man thanks you're welcome thank you for being here uh, Timmy, wow, another great conversation. Yeah, That's another great conversation for for the love of Stephen. For the love of Thank Stephen. You. Thanks, guys. Get well. Be safe. Stay above. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for giving us a listen. New episodes every Wednesday. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can share, rate, review, and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Other ways to support the show? Follow us on social media. Share the content. Share our episodes. You can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod. For further concerns, show ideas, or just to say hi, you can email us at abovegroundpodcast at gmail. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting mental health. Keep the conversation going and stay above.